The following sermon was preached on September 5th, 2021 at Antioch Presbyterian Church, a mission work of Calvary Presbytery of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Woodruff, South Carolina. Organizing pastor Dr. Joseph A. Piper Jr. preached this sermon entitled The Nature of True Worship on Psalm 100. Unfortunately, we experienced technical difficulties with our recording at the 26-minute mark. We regret that we are unable to reproduce the full sermon for this broadcast, but we have published here as much of the audio as is usable. For more information about Antioch Presbyterian Church, please visit AntiochPCA.com or contact us at info at AntiochPCA.com. May the Lord bless you as you receive gracious instruction from His Word. Think about a machine. If you don't use it in the way it's supposed to be used, if you use it for something for which it was not built, you break it. Some of us might remember back in the 90s when there was a whole new generation of desktop computers that were being sold. I remember getting mine out in California. And the companies were ahead of what the public knew of technology. So they built a, a CD, a disc player, into the computer. Now, most of us don't even know what a disc is any longer. But back then, we didn't either. And so people, being people... Uh, don't read instructions, they get their computer and they start pushing buttons, and out comes this nifty little cup holder. And so people put their coffee cup or their, their Coke can in the cup holder, and of course, it wasn't a cup holder, and they broke it. And they were on the helpline and calling the headquarters, and I broke my cup holder. Well, that's not a cup holder, you see. It is to play a disc. And because people misused it, they broke it. That's true with machinery. It's also true spiritually. There are many spiritual principles in the Bible that if we do not serve God according to those principles, we can do great damage to ourselves and others. Now, this is particularly true with respect to worship. There's so much chaos today in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ with respect to worship. Even some have talked about worship wars. And one of the primary reasons that we're having this problem with worship is that we're trying to use worship for things that God did not design it to do. We are putting coffee cups in the disc player of worship by trying to make it relevant and by trying to make it primarily evangelistic and by trying to make it suited to the things that the world is more accustomed to. We've actually broken worship. The church today is suffering the results of, of the consequences of, of broken worship. And so as we are moving to the, this glorious phase at Antioch, um, in between the series on Timothy and Job, I wanted to take a few messages and address you about some of the important aspects of worship. Now, one of the things that we'll do is in the adult Sunday school class, uh, we'll also take probably at least one class, and look at the elements of worship, why we do them, as well as at um, the liturgy and the posture. But we start this morning with this concept of what is worship about? What is the nature of worship? What is the, the purpose of worship? And returning to Psalm 100, uh, for the Holy Spirit to answer this question for us, you notice uh, from the title that Psalm 100 is what we would call a liturgical psalm. It's a psalm about worship. And that's why it's given this title, that it's a psalm for 
thanksgiving. The psalm itself comes in a, a, a most glorious and climactic place in the Psalter. It's the conclusion of a little group of psalms that begin with Psalm 93, conclude with Psalm 100. And they are messianic kingdom psalms. They're, a, they're prophecies about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, and particularly how the church and the world should respond to this coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we, we sang in Psalm 99 that He's holy, and the holiness of our God is being manifested in the King of kings and Lord of lords, the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, the section begins in 93.1 that he, is a, he has been enthroned. He is king. Now we come to the climax. And so what is the church's response? As the church anticipated the coming of the Messiah, what was its response? As we look at the fullness of what's prophesied here, what is our response? And we see this is a response of worship that God calls us to perform. And so I want to show you this morning that because Jehovah is the true God who made us and saves us, we are to serve Him in worship joyfully. Because Jehovah is the true God who made us and saved us, we are to serve Him joyfully in corporate worship. So I want to show you three things from Psalm 100. Basically, what we have here are three stanzas. And so first, uh, the duty of worship. Second, the purpose of worship. And third, the grounds or the basis of our worship. We begin with the purpose of are the duty of worship, verses 1 through 3. Shout joyfully to Jehovah, the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord Himself is God. It's He who has made us, not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. You probably have heard these verses read often as a call to worship because that's what we have here is a series of commandments that are calling us into the presence of God, that we will worship Him, that we'll shout joyfully to Him, that we will serve Him, that we will sing to Him, that we will bless His name and give thanks. We have here a, a series of commands that show us that we have this great responsibility, this commandment to worship God. Now, you will notice that this commandment is given to um, uh, all the people on the earth. It's not just given to, to the church. And that is in terms of the purpose of these psalms is to show us that because Christ is reigning, the nations will be gathered to Him. Psalm 96.1, Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. That is described in verse 7. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the people. This is a phrase in the Old Testament to refer to the, the Gentiles. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the people, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. The Lord reigns, 97.1. Let the earth rejoice, let many islands be glad. Again, Israel didn't have islands. Islands, the Old Testament referred to the Gentiles. And so we see in this commandment that all the earth is to shout joyfully to the Lord, that every individual has this responsibility to serve God and to worship Him. And I want you to pause for a moment and think about that. Because in your category of serious sins, 
where would the refusal to worship God fall? I mean, we think of the, of the gross and terrible sins that are going on in our culture, murder and abortion and all types of sexual abuses and self-identification and, and hedonism and materialism. Where does this fall? Are, are there not many people today who've given themselves a, uh, a free ride to heaven because they don't commit any of these abominations? They're really good and, and moral people. Perhaps you're one of those who sit here today. And you got your, your moral checklist, and you can go down that checklist, and you... You're innocent. I want you to understand that the most serious offense that any human being can commit against against God is the refusal to worship him in the Lord Jesus Christ. You can be the most moral person in the world. You refuse to come to God through Christ Jesus as he's appointed. That simply means you're an idolater. You've got other things that you worship, other things in which you rely, And that means you're under God's condemnation. And so even this morning, as you hear this commandment of of God through the Holy Spirit, that you are to worship Him, you are to serve Him, may the Spirit even now convict you of your sin and show you your awful rebellion against this most glorious and, and beautiful God. But it's particularly the church that's being called on to worship God because we have been saved unto that end. And so we can see again in the context that those who worship him are those who come before him, who uh, enter his courts and uh, come uh, through his gates with thanksgiving. And so it's particularly our duty to worship him. But as we look at this commandment to worship God, there are many today who are teaching and, uh, and practicing that will, in the New Testament, it's very different. See, this is fine in the Old Testament to have this focus on, on corporate worship. But see, in the New Testament, you know, the call is to praise God and serve Him in all of life. Now, that's true. It's also true in the New Testament that terms for worship are used for Christian obedience, such as what Paul does in, in Romans chapter 12. I I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as living sacrifices. But I trust you see here that this psalm is all about corporate worship. And if you rightly understand it, that the psalm is about the reigning of Christ, then it is directed to us as we sit here today. Now, there are a number of obvious reasons why the psalm is talking about corporate worship. We saw that it was a liturgical psalm. It's a psalm for Thanksgiving. But look at the psalm itself. In the first place, one of the things you can't see in your English Bibles, unless you have a a King James Bible, and that is that all of these commandments are in the second person plural. They're not addressed to us as individuals. They're addressed to us as the people of God. Notice where this worship takes place in verse 4. It is at the tabernacle and temple in Jerusalem. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his course with praise. And notice the particular acts to which we're called here. These are acts of worship and particularly corporate worship with the second person plural that we are to shout to God. We are to serve him. We are to give thanks to him. We're to sing to him. We're to bless and praise his name. So what we have here is for us today. We who live under the glorious reign of King Jesus, 
We who have been saved from uh, the corruption and the bondage and the condemnation of our sin and been brought unto the Lord God for what purpose? To worship him. That's what God told Moses to tell Pharaoh. Let my people go. that They may go out three days and worship me. Now, was that merely a, a subterfuge, an excuse? No. God delivered them. He brings them, we see in Exodus 19, to the mountain, declares that they are his covenant people and they're to worship him. What does Jesus say to the woman in Samaria? God's a spirit and is seeking a people to do what? To worship him in spirit and in truth. So you see, dear friends, that this matter of corporate worship is not an option for a Christian. There are many today in the name of Christ who think that as long as they're trying to serve God, they're reading their Bible, they're praying, it doesn't matter whether they join with God's people or not. Well, you see, that's absolutely contrary to the commandment of Scripture. There are many others today who, through the uh, consequences of the COVID lockdown, have got unaccustomed to attending corporate worship and don't mourn over that and don't see the awful danger that they're in by neglecting corporate worship. Corporate worship is the most serious thing that a Christian does. And we need to understand it's a duty. It's a, it's a commandment. It's a sin not to. But this is one of those duties. In fact, for a Christian, all duties should be pleasurable at the end of the day. This is a duty that's a great pleasure. It's, 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 a, it's a wonderful thing that God would allow us to come into his presence and to worship him. There are things that we as men do to, to serve our wives, and we must do those things. But we take pleasure, don't we, in being able to serve our wives in those ways. And so it is a duty, but don't think of, of this, some onerous burden. Think of this great, joyful privilege that God has given to you to worship Him. We'll move next, then, to the purpose of worship. Here's the centerpiece of of what we're considering today. And I want to summarize it with this simple sentence, to serve God in his special presence. This is the purpose of worship, to serve God in his special presence. Break that into its two parts. First, we're to serve God. Now, in the Bible, both the Old and New Testaments, there's three primary words that are used for worship. There is the word that we have, for example, in Exodus 20, and, and then Christ quotes that word in Matthew chapter 4, and that is the, the word that we would most often translate worship. And it is the word that refers to the largest act of worship, this coming and, and giving obeisance and homage and bowing at the feet of the Lord God. That's the first word, translated worship. Then there's the, the most narrow word, and it's most often translated to minister to. And it's a word that's actually used of the Levites and the priests as they perform their various things. And in the New Testament, for example, it's used in Acts chapter 13. Um, when the Spirit separates Paul and Barnabas, it says they were, with the others at Antioch, they were ministering to God and fasting. They were worshiping. And this word minister has to do with doing the discrete acts of worship. In fact, we get our English word liturgy from that word in the New Testament. Now, the word that's used here is the word that ties it all together, and that is that we are to serve the Lord God. Now, what is interesting about this word 
as it's used here, is that it's actually the word for the work of a slave. This is a word that describes a difficult labor. And it's translated by a similar word in Greek, and plus another word that would imply the same thing. Serve, service to God, then, is to be understood as a work that you are performing to and for the Lord God. Just as a, a person in a restaurant serves you, they wait on you. And so we are, are to come to do this work in the presence of God. And it's very important we understand then that worship is work. It gets rid of this idea of passivity. One of the reasons that people today are adding innovations to worship is trying to make it more participatory. But you see, the, the very thought that I have to make worship more participatory shows I don't, have not begun to understand what worship is. If worship is serving God corporately, then everything that you and I are doing in this service is an act of work that we're doing toward God. Do you got that? Everything is an act of work. That's why in our Confession of Faith, it actually says that when it lists the elements of worship, that the conscionable, the careful hearing of the Word of God preached is an element of worship. You're either worshiping well now or not well, as you're either listening to me or your mind is, is wandering. No, it doesn't matter whether you're praying with the one who leads in prayer, in your heart, or in a common prayer, or you're singing, or you're listening to scriptures being read, you're listening to a sermon, you're confessing the faith, whatever it is, everything that we do, we all must be doing it. We've got to get out of this, this passive TV mode of listening. We're not allowed to be passive. Our, our minds must be engaged. We must be engaged in faith uh, and, and diligence. And worship then is participatory. The very idea of serving the Lord teaches us this. And this is how you are to approach it. And that's why you're to approach it rested and prepared now to enter into the greatest work that you do in the seven days of the week. So we serve God. And then I say we serve God in his special presence. Look particularly at verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. You see, for the old covenant saints, they recognize that the, the highest privilege they had was to go to Jerusalem and to worship God. That helps you understand those laments of David when he's in exile and, and he's longing for the courts of God. It's not that God wasn't with him or, or hearing him, but he recognized that there was, there was a preeminent presence of God to, to come to the temple where God himself was symbolically enthroned over the cherubim, where the sacrifices were being offered daily, the incense of prayer was going up. And to worship there was the greatest privilege for the old covenant saint. Now, where is our temple today? Our temple is the Lord Jesus Christ. Our temple is in heaven. And we, I get this, we are seated with him in heavenly places. This is a great mystery. We are seated with him in heavenly places. That we can enjoy the presence of God in our devotions, in family worship, in the prayer meeting, but there's no place like corporate worship. We, we see that, don't we, in, in Hebrews 12, as we read that? That we have come to this heavenly Jerusalem, that we are mingling 
in the courts of heaven with the souls of just men made perfect and, and angels and into the presence of the holy and, and triune God. And, and that we know that that's talking about worship as, the, as it ends then by reminding us that we are to offer this acceptable service uh, to God. In verse uh, 28, therefore, since we received a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. It's in a sense as we're being levitated in some way. And, and this is why it's not merely a, a, a vain tradition. This is why the call to worship and the benediction are so important. They are the bookends of something that mysterious and spiritual has occurred. And that, that is, God has summoned us into his presence. That's why we have um, followed the older tradition of the, of the votum, the vow that we take, and, and the salutation. God really is greeting you when I say those words. That's not Piper. That's God who greets you, just as the apostle gives that greeting in his letters as you enter into his presence. May this grip our hearts where we are. And the ramifications are phenomenal in terms of how we behave ourselves, how we ought to dress, how we ought to uh, conduct ourselves and participate, uh, what we're doing. It also reminds us it doesn't matter if we're in a glorious campus, as Zach likes to call it, or a humble building, or in a storefront, or under a tree in Karamoja, Africa. It doesn't matter. That's good if you can have good places to worship God. It says a great deal about Him. I'm all in favor of, of, of scriptural architecture. But wherever we are, we are assembled as a people of God in some mysterious way. We are serving Him in His special presence. Now, of what then does this service consist? Well, I believe this psalm teaches us two things, and we infer a third. The first is, it consists of these acts of worship. So we've noted the commandments. And notice they're to be done joyfully, exuberantly. Shout joyfully to the Lord. That's why we use the corporate amen. Serve the Lord. There's our word. We're doing this with gladness. We're coming before Him with singing, with thanksgiving. We're coming to bless His name. These are all uh, elements that each stands for all the acts, particularly the Godward acts of corporate worship. So we're coming here into his presence to render to him the service, the adoration that belongs exclusively to him. What a grand privilege that is. And then something else, the second thing that's part of this mystery of serving God in his presence, that we actually, as we enter into his presence, enter into a special communion with him. And so the psalmist tells us uh, in verse 2, Come before the Lord with joyful singing. Know that the Lord himself is God. Come. This language of invitation, the language of communion and fellowship in corporate worship. Now we have this in private prayer. We have it in family prayer. Particularly now, corporately, there is an... Uh, an interchange that's taking place. There is a covenant dialogue that's going on. And so God, as he summons us, proclaims to us his beauty and glory, and we respond, my, you indeed are lovely. And we, 
We love you. We rest in you. And God reveals himself, and we respond in faith and love and joy and desire to serve him. And this is the the covenant dialogue that's taking place in worship. Again, it's why our worship is organized as it is, but it's to be a heart communion. Our hearts need to be going out to God as we hear him speak to us. Love words. It's a trist of lovers. It's uh, such a glorious occasion. And we, we behold his face. He doesn't show us his beauty and glory in physical images. No, he shows us his beauty and glory in the revelation of who he is. Now today we come to his table. And here is the one physical place that he communes with us and shows us his beauty and glory. For here, by his ordinance, he has manifested to us the incarnation of our Savior who has a body and blood. And we take and eat which shows that we, in fact, are in this intimate communion with the Lord Jesus Christ. So we offer to him these things. We commune with him in the acts of worship. And then, by inference, he does something for us, and that is that he builds us up in the faith. And we know this from many passages of Scripture, because all the things that God has appointed in worship are designed by God to enable us to be strengthened in our Christian walk. enables us to die to sin and grow in conformity to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's particularly the acts of corporate worship for the things that we can only do here, particularly the preaching of the word and the sacraments that God has designed to enable us. This is why one of the many reasons why we're committed to a second service is that why neglect this glorious privilege of, of, of communion with God and being sanctified by him? So we serve him in his special presence, to render to him that which is his, to commune with him, and he responds by building us up in the faith. So we've seen the duty, and we've seen uh, the purpose. We look now at what I'm talking about is the basis. For God gives us things here to stir us up, to worship him. You'll notice that, as I say, we've got these two stanzas, um, and what we have... um, In each stanza is a commandment and then a grounds for the commandment. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Antioch Presbyterian Church. We are located in the historic Cashville community of Woodruff, South Carolina, near the intersection of South Carolina Highways 101 and 417. For more information about Antioch Presbyterian Church, please visit AntiochPCA.com.